What is up, family? How you guys doing? This is Igor Traves with another episode of the Flow World Podcast. Um, today, we have Martin. Man, I've been dying to talk to Martin about this fight. Uh, I saw it uh, Saturday. Saturday. Uh, I, I couldn't wait to talk to him. Unfortunately, I couldn't get to him till about the middle of the week, which kind of delayed things for me, like actually getting the podcast out. So please forgive me. But uh, this is a good one. Uh, Martin really, you know, dropped some knowledge. We, we sit there and we chat about the fight. We also go over my top five scariest knockouts for this Halloween. If you want to support the podcast, head on over to shop.theflowrollpodcast.com. Again, that's shop.theflowrollpodcast.com. You can get a coffee mug with my, with my logo on it or a hat or whatever. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this one. I did. I always enjoy talking to Martin. Now on with the show. All right. So here we are with another episode of the Flow Road Podcast. Uh, today I have Martin or Mar Martin. What's wrong with me? Martin. <laughs> Martin. Uh, I don't know what happened, man. Like my, my, my tongue didn't want to like behave itself. But uh, so yeah, and uh, we're gonna be talking about Loma and Lopez, and we're and and then our favorite or our if there's time, we're gonna do the the five scariest knockouts from from my list. But let's go let's go right into you know Lomachenko versus Delfimo Lopez, man, dude. Tell me, what what did you think? My initial impressions were a little bit of shock to see how how Lopez handled Lomachenko. How, I wouldn't say easily, but the fact that he was able to do so. Um, that was kind of surprising. The Also, the, at the end, the, um, the scorecards were very bad. I thought it was, I thought, I think it, it, it kind of took something away from the event. I think it would have been better if the scorecards had, had more accurately reflected the actual fight. Um, so, but I was impressed with Lopez. Okay, so hold on. Uh, go talk about your talk about the the, the cards because I I just generally speaking felt the fight was very close. Uh, there are some times yes, where they do. where they both kind of shine. But what do you mean that the the cards didn't really reflect the fight? Well, the, the the official scorecards had a pretty pretty wide margin for for Lopez. I think one of them had a like nine to three. Oh uh, yeah, nine rounds to three. It was. I personally thought at the time, at the end of the fight, that I would have scored it seven to five. Uh, seven rounds to Lopez, five to Lomachenko, giving you a one fifteen one thirteen decision. Yeah. But I also was I also was convinced that there was going to be a draw. It was going to be called a draw. For a number of reasons, I think it was close enough for some of those rounds that that um, that perhaps I would have given Lopez were close enough that you, that that someone someone else could have seen it Lomachenko's way. It could have been a six 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 fight, and then you would have had a rematch. And that's another thing I thought. Another reason why I thought it would be a rematch. I thought it'd be in, it was in the business interest of boxing. Yeah, that there would be pressure, uh, conscious or unconscious or direct or indirect, to um, to have this fight come out a draw, if it was this close, I thought I really thought it was going to be a draw. I thought Lopez won seven to five, but I thought uh, I could see this being a draw, and then we do this again in six months. You know, I, I look 
I, I did see something about the scorecards. Apparently there was, there was somebody in the, in the, in the judges that, that people were complaining about. I think uh, uh, Papachenko was like, what the heck? But um, yeah, real bad one, like nine, three or like 10, two, like, Whoa. Yeah. Really bad. I, it, it's just, um, there were some times where I felt like Lomachenko and I, I can, I don't like it, you know, uh, but I can understand why it kind of happened simply because there was there was some rounds where I felt that maybe Lopez stole the stole the round, right? Like Lomachenko mm-hmm. put it poured it on, and then Lopez, you know, came back strong and finished around, you know, mm-hmm. uh, aggressively, you know. Uh, and and it's not like like Loma let him do that. Like he he was fighting, especially like the one that sticks out in my mind is is round eleven, where. Uh, Oh, it, they were, it was it was the most aggressive round Lomachenko had, but even then Lopez tried to answer him, but Lopez yeah. I think had kind of slowed down by that time. Yes, yes. And um, and and not to get too far down, but like one of the things that stuck out in my mind is, uh, especially especially after watching it again because I watched it I watched it like twice I, I I watched it like three times, but I watched it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with this, with with one time actually like kind of pausing, examining, kind of you know that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. But it, um, one of the things that stuck out on, in my mind was that like uh, he, the kid is young, he's strong, he's aggressive, he's got heavy hands, right? And mm. uh, but he's got a really good chin, right? And and Lomachenko wasn't doing enough to 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 put that kid away and i think that's for for at least from what i was seeing that was the best option in the later rounds for lomachenko like he started too cold he started too slow and and then he had he i that's that's what happened he lost this fight because those first four or five rounds he he didn't come out hot you know yeah i i thought the the first six rounds i'd say the first seven rounds I scored him probably six to one. Maybe you could go five two for Lopez. You're right. Some of those rounds were close, but I thought that certainly early one. I think Lopez showed more technical skill and more boxing IQ yeah. than I think I gave him credit for. I think I was impressed with the way he was able to to use his jab against Loma, mm-hmm. um, and I actually thought the way he positioned himself, just with his lead hand being his left hand. And Loma's lead hand being his his right hand, I it seemed like he was just inside of his right hand where he was able to use his jab just enough. I'm not saying he dominated with that jab because yeah. Lomachenko's still a hell of a fighter. He knows how to how to move around. You don't you don't go 396 and one in the amateurs if you suck. <laughs> yeah. you know, you, that was his record in the amateurs. Yeah, that's so crazy. 396 and one, dude. Basically 400 fights. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's anything I could do 400 times where I would goof up just once. There's nothing <laughs> I can think of, you know, like even putting a fork in my mouth yeah. 400 times at some point I'm going to hit my lips. You know, just like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but that aside, it, um, it seemed to me that Lopez was just successful enough with that jab um, because he was naturally bigger and his speed, he was, I think he was able to kind of control the distance mm-hmm. where Loma couldn't, and Lomo traditionally starts slower, um, and it, so it took him a little longer to catch up. But just Lomo couldn't 
couldn't catch him as you would with other fighters more his size. Yeah. Uh, so I think Lopez did just enough with that jab to control range and just enough downstairs. I think he landed just enough body punches with just enough power to gain Loma's respect, where Loma really had to think twice before he did anything. I, so I think that was a big part. I, I 100% agree with you because one of the things that was kind of annoying and I had to kind of turn it down after a while was I think it was Bradley who was commentating and, and he was he was talking about how uh, Delfimo wasn't going to the body enough. And I'm like, he's been going to the body. He's, he's been doing yeah. it. And, and and whatever the strategy was, I don't know if it was, he was thinking about it or if just kind of like how he felt about when he threw it. But whatever the case, it was enough of a deterrent to, to kind mm-hmm. of keep keep Lomachenko at a distance. And, and the other thing, too, is it's like uh, the, the reach on Lopez. He's got a 68.5-inch reach, whereas uh, Lomachenko has a 65-inch reach. So there yeah. is there is a little bit they're the same they're almost the same height at five seven five eight yes. but but the reach is there's enough there to kind of make a difference so uh, it's um, couple that with his speed and his power and his good technique too as well I think the confluence of those four elements really were at least a huge difference in the first seven eight rounds yeah I think I was gonna I think for eight round through eleven I had Loma winning those rounds. And I think, I think that's the other thing about this fight. I think that by and large, the rounds that Lopez won, he won them by a smaller margin than the rounds that Lomachenko won. The ones, the rounds that Lomachenko won, he won by a larger margin. Uh, so you might think that Loma actually did better in the fight than, than the scores would indicate, but because we do round by round scoring in boxing, the scores might not reflect what that initial impression was. Yeah, and and that's the other thing too. Like when I when 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 I saw that fight, I was I was angry because it was like I thought Loma won. I was watching it, and I guess in my head I was cheering on Loma. When I watched it the the other two times, I I was like, okay, you know, like I tried to be a little more subjective and, and try to kind of like just kind of or objective and try to kind of watch watch it for what it is and. I could I can see how Lopez won. I can see how there can be an argument for both people winning. But I mean yeah, but the, there was a betting margin and uh you know obviously Lopez was the mar- was was the underdog at plus 275. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, damn, I, I wish I would have put at least, you know, a few bucks on that. <laughs> yeah. Make a little something, yeah. Make make a little something, you know. Uh but yeah, so the other, the other, you know, it's great that you mentioned the, the jab because um, I did not see it, but the I, I believe one of the commentators did, and they mentioned that as Lopez was stepping in with the jab, he wasn't stepping straight in; he was stepping off to to the right, right? Yeah, he was, yeah exactly. So, kind of, yes. So that he can, so that he can insert his his punch into that range because again like we talked last time with uh with uh, marquez and, and pacquiao that the, that footing for the foot right and and the and yeah. the the interference or the, the 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 area both occupied by the same jab or the same same lead hand so like that was i i i didn't know i didn't know i didn't think you could do that you know and i was just like wow that's so much like how did he pick that up you know and um, there's there was that that was one of the things that stuck out to me. And the other thing was all those um, uppercuts. He kept 
Yes. He kept landing that uppercut and it was like either on the way in or on the way out, he'd throw that sucker and he caught him a couple of times. Yes. Yes. And again, just enough. It, he never really caught him clean on the jaw. It seemed like, Yeah. but it was just enough in the middle of the chest or in the shoulder or just enough to, to let him know, Hey, I'm right here. And this is what's waiting for you. Yeah. Um, and he hits, yeah. he hits hard. As they were saying he's twitchy. He's got that fast twitch sort of quality to him. So when he hits, he's hitting hard. Yes. Yeah. That explains the speed too, the fast twitch. Yes. Yeah. Cause yeah, exactly. So I think in a way that I think he just might've been just, just, just a little too big for Loma. Mm. I think, I think that was the difference. Maybe the age as well. Maybe Loma's, I shouldn't say maybe, I think Loma is definitely coming, coming down on, on the downside of his career. That's the other thing, dude. 400 fights in the amateurs, another 20 in the professionals. I don't care who you are. That's a lot of miles, man. I don't care how easy those fights are. That's a lot of miles. That is a lot of miles. That it, for real. And and then especially especially as you as you start coming up and getting hit like for real, you know, in in the pro mm -hmm. leagues. Um but yeah, I I I I think you're right. He was he was a little too big and too young for for uh, Lomachenko because he wasn't you know it wasn't that Lomachenko wasn't being effective I don't think I, I just the, he just uh, he took a lot of you know the kid was able to take some some stuff to the chin and and was just fine you know uh and he's you know he's got he's young he's got that chin you know he's got a granite chin yeah. but I mean, uh, really see in those middle rounds when Loma wanted to he really had success yes uh, but I don't know if it was just the first couple of the first seven or eight rounds, he he had to get warmed up and the layoff, and he's traditionally a slow starter. But it seemed, yeah, you're right. When when Loma got his stuff going in, in those middle to late rounds, he he could seem like he was dominating the fight at some point. Yeah, he was he was yeah he was doing really good. And then like, um, but I, I the the thing that you were saying about him warming up, I, I just wondered, it because again the commentating. They made a they made a kind of like a, a comment about him having to either kind of figure out the fighter. So it wasn't like he was warming up; he was already warm. It was just kind of like he he needed to kind of catch the timing. So yeah, I, I can understand that for for him being the type of fighter that he is, with all the dodging and moving and timing that he has to do with all the with, with every fighter. So he might need to kind of like gauge, like kind of recalibrate every time he fights somebody new but uh that's not and if that's true maybe he's just a cold maybe he walked out cold who knows i don't know what his deal is but like whatever the case that's not something you can get away with with a kid like this yeah no not at all it was just something and maybe we should give credit to, to lopez for doing this but it just seemed like Lop lomancheco lacked that that slickness that he usually has that's so characteristic of him mm -hmm. that slick and I, I really can't describe it any other way he just he, he didn't seem as usually his usual slick self you know what i mean he seemed much more mortal and maybe that was just the fact that lopez was making him and imposing that upon him or maybe it was that and the fact that lomancheco just is beginning to, to slow down a bit but he he just didn't seem his normal self yeah that he he supposedly is getting a sh uh, shoulder surgery now so yes, I've been hearing stuff that now that maybe he's got an injury. Yeah. Yeah. 
perhaps that had something to do with it. It could. Yeah. It could. Because he definitely he definitely seemed off. He didn't seem like his normal, his normal self. Yeah, and I saw that too. And I don't know if I could attribute it to age or um you know, some injury or this kid just being so awkward for him, you know. So, but like mm-hmm. I, I was uh broke my heart, man. <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't want you know uh, Delfimo Jr. to win and 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 you know his dad Pitbull to kind of like be cheering in the corner. Oh yeah. Oh, his dad is so annoying. And it seems like we were just talking about this like last week or two weeks ago about dads and, and having sons in, in, in the game. Yeah. Yeah, his dad's pretty annoying. Yeah. Um I mean Lomachenko is also trained by his dad, but it looks like his dad at least has his head screwed on right. Yeah. Um Papa Lopez has got something going on. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Did, did you see that uh, one of the interviews in the pre-fight interviews with Teofimo on ESPN? Uh he, I didn't know that he had had some issues with his dad, or he, or he has issues with his father, and he's gone to therapy about this. So there's there's something going on with Teofimo and his dad. So some sort so like I I don't I don't know why I did this. There's something about annoying characters like like Delfimo's uh, uh senior that yeah. that that made me see is like what is wrong with you, right? So like I took I I did a search on this guy. So I I went and kind of I wanted to see what his history was. So it turns out um senior um uh, his father Yes. Was born in Spain, came over to Honduras at one point, and at age 50, hooked up with, you know, a young Honduran uh, young lady, at, and they had a kid who ended up being Teofimo's senior, right? So um, their relationship, um, from what I read, didn't seem a solid one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was because, you know, the great grandfather was so old or, or if they just kind of had conflict, but they, but they also, I guess, had passion, you know? So then, uh, they, they, uh, the Andurian mother or the great grandmother, you know, ended up being in, in, in I guess in the Bronx and uh, the senior would travel back and forth between Honduras or Spain and, and New York, right? Uh, I'm I'm getting some of these these facts kind of screwed up here, but the the point is is that he was never at, at a place at one time, and then eventually mm-hmm. the old man died, the uh, the old lady went nuts, and then she hung herself. Oh jeez. Yeah, and then Delfimo Senior was on his own at like a very young age, like at 17 or 18 years old, living off the street, kind of being a thug. Hustler hustling <laughs> exactly he ended up being a drug dealer and uh got himself in a lot of trouble um so senior is that character he's 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 a uh, that street thug guy right mm-hmm. so he's going so he um i don't know i don't know what the story is with uh delfimo senior's wife or like the mother of junior yeah. but um it'd be nice if these characters had different names but anyway so senior senior but i guess senior is kind of like the one that's kind of managing this kid's you know future yeah. but this this guy you know he's a street thug he doesn't have any kind of like 
actual boxing knowledge. And so mm-hmm. he he got in yeah. trouble. He got in trouble. He got sent to uh, to a Florida penitentiary, served some time there, and then once he got out, he kind of went straight, you know, and started driving a limo. And in the limo, he would pass out, you know, stuff, right? Yeah. So I guess he was a little more smarter about it. But whatever the case, at one point, you know, they're hanging out at in front of a, a boxing gym, and the, the kid starts, you know. Uh, screwing around inside the gym as he talks to the guys and then at one point some boxer comes over to some trainer comes over to him and tells him hey your kid is doing stuff that takes me five years to teach other kids or other people like adults like your kid's a genius and then off they went you know but this cat is all kinds of crazy you know he's he's been on coke He's been, he's done, you know, time in jail. He's, you know, he's a ruffian. He, he was a womanizer. So this is, this is who this guy is. And um, it, it shows, right? I mean, you could tell. Yes. And, and you see that kind of reflecting on the son. Cause your son, his son's a little brash. He was a little bit of the heel. I really wanted him to lose. You yes. Know? Yes. He definitely plays the heel. Yeah. So like, um, it was interesting. Um, and apparently this guy, he, I don't know why this kid, this, this old man is cornering this kid, but apparently he has attained a, a whole shit ton of knowledge from YouTube and other, other unconventional sources. Mm-hmm. So he is, he's an unconventional trainer and it served them well. Yeah. So far it's, it's, I just really don't like this whole, and I mentioned this before, this living through your child in the boxing game and and um, and kind of attaching yourself to him like that. Uh, I, I think that story about him approaching Vasily Lomachenko in, in, the, in the hotel room hallway years ago, kind of drunk. You, you heard, I think you heard the story. Right? I, have, I have heard the story. Please tell. Well, well, supposedly, and I saw this in the, in the pre-hype fight in those specials that they have on ESPN. So apparently a few years ago, um, Teofimo was on an undercard of mm-hmm. uh, where that, that Lomachenko was headlining. And they're everybody's staying in the same hotel. And I guess this is the genesis of the so, so, so-called animosity, which now seems kind of contrived. Um, but apparently Vasily and his people are entering the hotel one evening or one afternoon before the fights. And that um, Teofimo Sr. or, or Teo, Teo's dad approaches him. Um, apparently somewhat intoxicated, but approaches him. And, you know, he claims that Lomachenko was disrespectful. Lomachenko claims that he just came up to him and said, my, you know, my son's going to kick your ass. You better watch out. Uh, so there's two different stories. So whatever happened, apparently there were words exchanged and they had to get separated. And that is the apparent genesis of this. And Lomachenko is essentially saying, he just acted like an old fool. Who does this? I'm just walking to my hotel and then, you know, this old man, this drunken old man comes up to tell me, hey, you know, his son's going to whip my ass. I'm like, okay, we'll see. Um, and of course, Teofimo's dad spins it, know that I came up to him like a gentleman and he was disrespectful to me. And, and uh. so I just, so I, that, that whole thing just sounds contrived. And just the idea of him doing this um, and again, trying to write checks that his, that later on his son has to cash in the ring. I just don't like that. I think, 
I don't know. I, I, I've always had issues with things about parents in the boxing ring anyway, but yeah. in particular yeah. like this, when you're going out there and, and essentially being a proxy for your son, you know, starting shit, calling people out, and then you're not the one who has to back it up. It's your son who has to go back it up. Uh, regardless of how confident you are of your son's abilities or your, your daughter's abilities, I would think you just wouldn't do that. Um, so that's just the part that rubs me the wrong way about him. Uh, he seems very shysterish, very snake oils mini to me. But, you know, history is replete with people <laughs> yeah. who, who, who live that way, you know? Entire religions have been founded that way. Oh, dude. Yeah, I that that guy, yeah, he rubs me the wrong way. And then when when the fight was won, he jumped up like he won the fight, you know? He was he he was more excited about the fight than you know Junior was. Like I, I was just like, what's going on with this cat? Like he is too uh yeah, he's he's the epitome of that kind of grossness behavior that we're talking about. It it's uh it's kind of I, I'm I'm embarrassed for him um and his yeah. his behavior. I wish I I, I don't um I don't like seeing that in uh, in, in in parents and fathers and, and and in people that kind of reflect, um, you know, what I look like, you know, like you mm-hmm. know, like like who as a as a Latino, you know. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I would like it for us to kind of behave a little better, um, and yeah. and even even in loss, the 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 Lomachenkos were mm-hmm. were very classy. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think Lomachenko could have made a stink of it, saying he was robbed. He didn't. Um, yeah, it just it just really rubs me the wrong way, and it also kind of makes me wonder about about Teofimo and how much of his heart is really into this, and how much of this is is he doing for other reasons. Uh, I, I'm not saying he doesn't have heart. I'm just saying, what is his what is his prime motivation? Is it to satisfy his dad or is it for himself because if it's the former that's going to get him in trouble one of these days yeah and and I, a recipe for disaster. I was i was thinking that exactly because he i'm not saying that he didn't struggle there in this fight but lomachenko didn't um test him as hard i think as a younger fighter might have been able to yes i think a fighter with a slightly heavier hands in this weight division um, would have done some damage because clearly Lomachenko caught him with some good shots in those, those rounds. Yeah. Yeah. So like if he were to fight a twin of himself uh, where it comes down to heart, uh, we would have to see what he, what, what the results right. would be. And yeah. then, and then the, that, you know, whether he's a true boxer for, for, because he loves the sport will, sh- will show through. Yeah, but, uh, Absolutely. But one of one of the other fights I wanted to mention was the um, I I enjoyed the whole night, but the one that sticks out in my mind is the uh, the Vives versus Moralde fight. Because I don't remember, I too was tuning in and out, so I'm trying to remember which one was that one. That was the uh, Filipino kid who got shot in the who got uh, uh, punched in the ribs. Oh yeah, that was that was a good one. Um, but my favorite one of the night. No, and it wasn't the main event. It was Edgar Barlarga. Yes. 
that kid at 168 pounds. Yeah, and he's got that. It's it's so it's such a shame that he's in that crazy weight where he's too big for middleweight and too small for light heavy. He's kind of in that weird weight, but that dude looks legit, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He came out. Tokayo came out and like threw punches. Like he was like. I don't know, trying to rip a head off a teddy bear or something. Look, dangerous. Those punches were coming hard. And, dude, those were scary punches. Those yeah. Were scary. Yeah, he was throwing everything in them, bro. Everything. Yeah, I'm sure you do that, too. You just kind of imagine yourself in the ring with this guy. Like, oh, my God, that would be scary to be in there. Yeah. Having that shit at you. Because, yeah. You would think I, I I can't speak to the to the quality of opposition. I haven't seen him fight before. I'd heard of him with this streak of first round KOs, mm-hmm. uh, but he looked really impressive. I I think he he could still work a little bit on his technique. Obviously, he's a young kid, mm-hmm. but man, he's, he he seems to have a lot of natural natural aptitude. Yeah. No, I, I I have the same comment. Like he looked a little sloppy in terms of like how he was throwing his punches. But after, like, after he had kind of wobbled bellows, he just wanted to put him away. And he was, he was swinging for the fences. This kid was dropping bombs. And it was, it was pretty sensational, man. It was, it was cool. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, I enjoyed that one. Although short. Yeah. I mean, even the punches that didn't land cleanly were hard. <laughs> just hear them or see them. Didn't you? Like, even though it wasn't clean, like, Ooh, that still looks fucking hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the best part about like this uh uh this whole pandemic thing. There's no crowd, so you can actually hear the punches. And yeah. I was just like, like you can hear them like, oh, those hurt. Like I can tell those yeah. hurt. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I, I told you once before that I had seen back in the day, um, I'd gone to the to the what used to be the Rosemont Horizon. I'm not sure what they call it, though, the All State Arena now. And I saw a heavyweight fight in this guy named Alex Stewart who had been in the ring with Mike Tyson. He got knocked out by Mike Tyson. Uh-huh. But Alex Stewart was, you know, kind of bouncing back. And he was on this card. Um, and actually, I think that was the card that um, a fr- my childhood friend of mine who passed away was on. Uh, Vinny Letizia was on that card. But anyway, uh, Alex Stewart was uh, fighting uh, the main event. And we were able to get down close up. And dude, he was throwing some body shots to whoever he was fighting. That sounded like a fucking sledgehammer. Yeah. hitting a tire it was just so like boom like oh my god it was almost hard to comprehend that a human could withstand a blow like that like oh my god he probably crushed my fucking intestines with a shot like that oh my god yeah so yeah yeah, yeah it is cool to hear that the sound effect and have that sort of visceral impact of, of the shots like oh wow it's funny too because like I, I don't know if it's just because you you're used to kind of seeing punches and the sound effects in movies but when you see mm-hmm. when you hear the punches from that that are made in real life you're like holy shit it makes that noise you know you're always like wait a minute, what you know yeah yeah when you see a professional land a good shot you're like oh wow yeah yeah but yeah, no, it was a good night of fights. And then afterwards, I I, I tuned in into the UFC fights and watched uh, a, a kid called Brian Ortega fight a guy named, uh, that they call the Korean zombie. I had seen some of the hype, uh-huh. what, what, but I don't know, I didn't see the fight. So what did you think of, of that fight? That fight was uh, fun. Uh, I actually enjoyed it quite 
uh, quite a bit because it was a uh, it was kind of a, a it was he played a really technical game, but there's nothing uh, the striking although good can't compare it to a, a fight where the where the striking is just boxing right mm-hmm. where so like the, flipping between the two like going over to the, like the UFC fight after watching such a technical fight in Lomachenko and Lopez I was like oh yeah <laughs> they don't they're not at the same kind of caliber or maybe they can't be you know but right yeah it's a different sort of skill set and you know yeah there yeah and there's other variables that you have to worry about right of so you, you can't you can't be as bouncy you have to be a little more flat-footed so that you don't get taken down stuff like that down, yes yeah but uh he kept doing this thing that was really interesting he kept throwing he kept throwing he kept acting like he was gonna go for a shot but he wouldn't even actually go down he wouldn't even like change levels he would just touch the leg he would like literally just touch the leg like he was gonna like go for like faking like he was going for a takedown and that made uh his opponent korean zombie a little too uh aware of the leg or being taken down and then he just was able to kind of take him apart because of that so he it, he won a decision it was but it was it was a. Uh, it was something I haven't seen before, or maybe, I mean, maybe somebody else did it, but I've, I haven't seen it. And I thought it was, it was really clever the way he, he pulled that out, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it, I watched a few of them because, you know, after, you know, afterwards you can go to the ESPN plus site and watch yeah. all the sites. So I, I, I bounced around and watched a few and I was just like, Oh, it, it was, it, 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 yeah, I was there. I was, I was, <laughs> I was up until like two p. Uh, two a.m. in the morning watching fights. Two, three a.m. <laughs> but um, but here let's um, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, five fave scariest yeah. knockouts. If you still have time. Yes, of course. Yes. Okay, so uh, going from five to one, the. And I sent you some of these videos. Uh, did you have time yes, to watch? Yes, I, I just saw them again, yes. And I looked so, them over again, yes. So, um, Jorge Masvidal versus Ben Askren. Yes, yes. I've seen this one before, yes. Yeah, that that is a nice and short one. Um, and, oh, and let me go down the, the list as to how I pick these. Um, I my, my criteria for picking these fights were a little more about uh, – the fights that I know and the severity of, of, of the consequences. So um, there, there are, there are fights on the list that are, there's one that's a TKO and I'll explain uh, when I get to that one, but yeah, it's, it was more of like the shock that of when I, like heard about these fights or saw them in person. So I didn't see some of these in person, but like Jorge Masvidal, I didn't, I didn't actually, I, I saw it afterwards. I didn't see it live, but mm-hmm. like I heard about it on Twitter and I'm like, what happened? You know? And yeah. uh, so I go, I go look at the fight. Cause you know, the fight lasts that long. It, it was second. Yeah, first round. Yeah. A few seconds. Yeah. But these cats have been going back and forth, and Jorge Masvidal is another one of these kind of heelish kind of cats, where yeah. he he kind of he's he's a little grandiose, and he's a little like you know, 
he's yeah, I've little, heard of him. He's made a name for himself. Yeah. 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 He's a little thuggish, but he's he's also kind of like a very likable guy, you know. So he's not like a complete heel. But uh Ben Askren was also kind of playing the heel a little bit, but he's well known as a as a wrestler, a really a weird, awkward wrestler. Askren. And, yeah, Askren. And so Jorge Masvidal uh talked all this mess, got them all hyped up, right? And so they, they hate each other. They're getting in the ring and you see Jorge Masvidal hanging on the cage, looking like he's going to, he's going to start slow on purpose. This is the, like he, yeah, yeah. Like he, he purposely did this. And, and so he was sitting there. And so he was like leaning back on the, on the, on the fence around the cage. Like he was hanging out at the local drugstore, you know, or, you know, the corner store, just chilling. And the then, shop. Yeah, yeah, at the soda shop. And then the bell rings. He kind of leisurely walks, takes a couple of steps. And then he rushes Ben Askren. Askren shoots for a, for, for a double leg or something. And this guy flies into his face with a knee. Vicious. It was horrendous. I was like, oh, you know. Yes. It's like you yeah, look like he ran into a tree or something. Oh, I've seen that a couple of times. And I, I once saw Holyfield do that to somebody um, where he hit him and it looked like the guy just ran right into a tree. Like in the cartoons, like everything, all motion just stopped. Yeah. In that one direction. Yeah, that was pretty vicious. And I, and now Masvidal is still, the, he still holds a belt, right? I mean, he's been around for a while because I think I remember him. Didn't he first make a big splash like in Kimbo Slice videos? Yes, he's a. I do remember the Kimbo Slice era, and that he kind of—that's where he first kind of made a name for himself as a tough kid. Yeah, I guess I guess he started fighting on this on like in these backyard brawls kind of things, like yeah. when he was like seventeen or eighteen, <laughs> like savage, you know? <laughs> Come on, yeah, and so like I guess. I guess and I, I had just seen something about this not too long ago uh, in like an Instagram or someplace where he was like talking where Kimbo Slice was like, you know, I'm always kicking people's ass. I don't get to see the fights. You know, I'm usually the main event or whatever. And then I don't get to see anything, you know. So he tells his, his buddies, hey, I want to watch a fight for a change, you know. So they're like, OK, well, here, I got I got one for you. And so then this kid uh, is hanging out. And I'll talk about uh, Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal is hanging out at like a Burger King drive-thru or something or in an out burger or something. And he's getting like hamburgers, right? So he's like eating hamburgers and they call him and they're like, hey, you, uh, you want to fight in about three hours? And he's like, sure. You know, and so he, you know, he goes and he whoops somebody's ass. And then, and then like uh, Kimbo Slice gives him props and it's just like, Wow, like, whew, that life, uh-uh, I don't know, man, that's crazy. That's way too hard of a life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, now, number four on the list, I have yes. Quentin Rampage Jackson versus Ricardo Arona. And, yes. or, or actually, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, because he's Brazilian, this Ricardo. Yes. But, but, um, but so I guess it, it was a kind of like a, 
you know, it was it was your normal fight, you know, this back and forth, but then eventually Arona gets him to the ground, right? And uh Quinton uh does something that I guess he has been by that point or became known for and is slamming people. So Ricardo tries to go for a um what you call a triangle choke, right? Or tries to he has his legs wrapped around him and he goes for this triangle choke. He tries to kind of, you know, um catch Jackson. And Rampage just picks this guy up and slams his ass, knocks him out. I mean, he picks him up straight up into the air ah. and drops dude and then lands another couple of punches afterwards. Yeah. That was pretty scary because that looked like a long way to come down. It's <laughs> <laughs> to land on the back of your head. Yeah, that just generally seems like a like a not a good good plan. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, it was funny uh, when I started taking jujitsu. Um, my uh, something like that happened. I think I I don't remember if I was the one being picked up or if I picked someone up. I think I picked someone up. I picked someone up, and I didn't mean to. But I was, you know, I was going to slam him, you know, because, you know, I don't know anything at this point when I'm doing this. Yeah. And the coach stopped it and yelled at both of us. He's like, you're stupid for picking him up and you're stupid for staying in, you know, locked to him. You should have let him go, you know. And I was like, oh. And so, like, when I saw this fight, uh, I was like, oh, maybe that's the lesson you learn. You, you let go, you know. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, no, that looked pretty vicious, and look like it would cause some serious permanent type damage. Yeah, that guy, that guy wasn't the same after that. I guess apparently he he just kind of either kept losing after that or just stopped fighting. Well, those blows to the back of the head like that, um, huh? That's those are scary. I mean, there was a fighter back in the day named Joe McClellan. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He um, he was an up and coming fighter. Or he was a really good fighter. He, he and Roy Jones Jr. would have been set up for a super mega fight. Uh, McClellan was just a great, great young fighter. But he got, he fought this British guy named Nigel Ben. And Nigel Ben, I don't know, I don't think he was doing it on purpose. Maybe he was. He kept hitting him in the back of the head. Oh. And the referee wasn't doing anything about it. And it might have just been the, the way the styles was, where Nigel Ben would throw his right hand and McClellan would duck just enough, or you would get caught. In the back of it, but it happened over and over again. Eventually, poor McClellan stopped the, the fight was stopped and he never fought again. And he, he actually suffered permanent brain damage as well. Jesus Christ, oh, man. And speaking of which, remember last week we were talking about knockouts. I said remember Joey Gamash was one of the victims, was that victim of the knockout against Gotti. Oh remember we talked about that. Yeah, we, we talked and, about that. And there was controversy because Gamash was much lighter, Gotti came in much heavier. Yes. And there was controversy. I don't know if you caught this, but Gamash was is was is training um, Teofimo Lopez. What? He was in his corner and he was training him. Wow! And they, actually, they actually interviewed him in some of the pre-fight hype. Really? Yeah. So if you see it, like on on, on demand or something, some of the pre-fight hype, he's grayer, older, but there's Joey Gamash. So that kind of warmed my heart because after talking about it a couple of weeks ago, like. Oh, poor Jerry Gamash was never the same. Uh -huh. He suffered brain damage, had to get a settlement, never fought again. But it's good to see that that he's he's active and he's in the game. And he he seemed to be at least 
in those snippets, those little tidbits of video, you seem to be okay. Oh, thank God. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Dude, you were just telling, you were just talking about that guy. Yeah. So when I, I didn't, had no idea he was in his corner. So when I'm watching some of the pre-fight hype on Friday, oh, Joey Gamash is in his corner. Like, what? Oh, oh dude. Yeah. And he was walking he fine and he looked like he was all together. He seemed like he was looking. If I hadn't have known that's what happened to him, I wouldn't have suspected he had suffered some sort of permanent brain damage. I'm sure he's affected in some way, but at least in that context, he was just talking boxing and talking how he thought his fighter could win. Uh, he seemed fine. Okay. So now, you know what? Some of this now makes sense to me in terms of like the, uh, the, like the, the training for Lopez and some of the things he did, because there were a couple of things he did uh, that I thought were interesting. He pushed Lomachenko. He didn't allow uh, Lomachenko to kind of get started in some, in some cases. And he just straight out pushed him, which yeah. um, is dangerous, as you know, uh, depending on how you do it. But there were a couple of times like he just pushed him outright, I think, with both hands. And I'm like, dude, you're going to get knocked out. Don't do that shit again. Right. Get time. <laughs> yeah, you, you got you to either put one hand out and be careful how you do it or whatever. But I was just like, dude, you can't you can't put your hands out like that. But the reason I bring that up is because when he went when he when Gamach fought Gotti, he he was doing some of that. He pushed them. And, and in one of the and in, in the exchange that got him knocked out, he had shoved them out and he charged them again. And that's when he got knocked out. So, um, so it's interesting that he kind of uh, may, he might be teaching that, you know, I don't know if he is, I'm just, it's me suspecting that possibly he's, that's some of his training, you know. No, I, I did see that, that Lopez had been doing that pushing on Lomachenko, but I didn't make that connection with what Gamash did against Gotti. So it's, that's interesting. I didn't catch that. Yeah. I, it's, well, I mean, it's just things fighters do too, right? I mean, you're, you're in the, uh, yeah. You're you're in close, you know. You shove right to to yeah. to to create this, yeah, create space to be able to throw in the punches. Yeah. But that's I, I wonder if he part, you know, if he parted, if he showed that to him. Yeah, right. I wonder. You know, because I mean, I I don't really think senior is really teaching that kid anything. <laughs> I would think from a technical part, it's probably more, I would imagine now that I know this, that it probably is Gamash, being that he's an experienced fighter who's been in the ring. Yeah. 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 He, senior just seems more like a hype man more than anything. He seems like he's the hype man. Yeah. He's the troublemaker. He's the guy. He's the guy who starts the fights that you have right. to fight. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I hate. hate <laughs> yeah, you hate the guys. You can't hang out with those guys anymore. No, not for very long. <laughs> no, no, no. Unless you want to keep getting punched, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So then, then there's um, uh, number three. I have Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman. Yes. So, but this is this is fight two, and uh, in the first uh, fight, what happened? Well, um, Anderson Silva lost, and it was a big deal. Uh, Anderson right, Silva, he was like considered like the best fighter around, right at that time. Yeah, he was. He, yeah, yeah, he was very kind of slick. He couldn't hit him, but he was also prone to showboating. Yes, and I think I do. I, I did see that first fight of theirs where Silva gets knocked out, having his hands down and kind of clowning. 
and it gets caught like either with the jab or straight right, and that kind of ends it. Yeah, that it made me angry too because he was showboating, and he, I, I guess, because I could have sworn he explained it. Uh, Anderson Silva did, and he said that he was show like he was dodging and moving, and he let the guy hit him, and then he pretended to 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 like be wobbled, and then he was actually wobbled, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And then he got knocked out and he lost the fight, you know? So, but, um, but then, so then this is number two and I'm thinking, you know, Anderson Silva is going to get it back, right? He's going to make it right. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to beat this cat and this young lion, Chris Weidman at the time, um, who does, at least to me, didn't seem like anything special. He was just kind of like a wrestler with some good striking, you know? kind of like what the combination usually is when you put those two together. But um, uh, at one point, you know, Silva's trying to be effective with the, with the leg kicks. So he's trying to, you know, slow him down, throw those leg kicks. And Chris Wyman does a thing that uh, is known as uh, destruction. And what a destruction is, there's two ways to do a destruction, at least from what I know. There's the elbow destruction and there's a knee destruction. And basically what it is, is you just put the, the, that, that joint in alignment with where the strike is coming from. So if you're throwing a punch, you throw your elbow, you put your elbow out and allow for, for the, the, the long part of your top arm to meet mm -hmm. with the hand on the elbow and that nice. will break the hand. Ah, all right. So that's one form of destruction. The other form is what is the one that we saw in the Anderson Silva Chris Weidman fight, where uh, Weidman doesn't really check the leg because the traditional way to check a leg is you just bring it up and let the leg get caught on the um, get checked on the shin. He didn't bring it up that high. He purposely brought it up uh, knee level to to catch it on the knee. So that he would cause that pain. He mm -hmm. uh, and from my understanding, it wasn't um, something out of malice. He wanted to deter Silva from continually kicking the leg, but also you can break the leg by doing that, and that's what happened. He brought he brought up the knee because he because he did it twice. Silva Silva threw the leg, checked it. It hurt. But then Silva probably being the fighter that he is, being the monster that he is, says, fuck it, I'm going to work through the pain. Throws it again. He probably had cracked it or something on the first, on the yeah. first, on the first kick. Then throws the second kick, and that completely breaks the leg. And now, now you have something really scary because – this is not exactly a KO. It's a TKO, right? It's a technical knockout. The referee has to call the uh, has to call the fight. Silva can't stand, right? And he's crying out in pain, and it is gruesome because you see this leg deformed, dangling. Yeah, yeah, and it was, and and the and it's um, one thing I did not know is you could if 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 things don't go right if you tear something in the leg, like arteries or something, you lose the leg. Mm -hmm. So Silva was in danger of not only, you know, he lost the fight. Now he could lose his leg. 
And so they had to be very careful of how they pulled them out of there. And I'll, that is one of the scariest. Yeah, it's a yeah. gruesome, scary, scary ass thing. Uh, but I mean, you got to throw those kicks. Like, so how do you get around, uh, you know, running into something like a destruction? I, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, that that team was really scary. And obviously, it's not something you really have to contend with in boxing. Mm-hmm. So I, that's just that's a scary prospect of throwing a kick and the idea that your your leg might just get cut not cut in half but broken like that. Yeah, just that dangling leg thing. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you're like ah, you know. Yeah, it does. It gives you the willies. Like, oh, that's not good. And that was not the first time I've seen that. That was actually like the second or third time I've seen that. Um, the first, the very first time I ever saw that was when uh, uh, Dennis Alexio fought a guy named Stan the Man something or other. I can't remember anymore. But like Dennis Alexio is the cat who came out as the brother and kickboxer with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, Okay. So then after that, I was like, oh, you know, I remember I was like in the video store and I, you know, I was training kickboxing and stuff. And I remember, you know, I'm hanging out at the video store and I see this tape of fights, right? And it's like on the cover, there's Dennis Alexio. And I'm like, hey, that's that fucking guy from Kickboxer, right? So I buy it. I run home and, you know, can't wait, sit down and watch it. And I see that happen to him. He like... It was like the first thing that happens. He throws out that fucking leg, breaks it. And I'm like, ah, I didn't know that could happen. You know? I mean, you see that kind of stuff like in football. I mean, there's a lot of famous injuries like that. But yeah, that is pretty, that's pretty scary. That's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. So now number two is the one we talked about last time. Uh, Manny Pacquiao versus Juan Manuel Marquez. Right. Um, we we can we can just go over it real quick because I mean we already talked about it, but yeah, that one but yeah, go for it. Yeah, that was just a, a stunning quality to it because you're right. I mean, just Marquez had not been able to beat him yet at that point. He, he gotten close, but he was not able to come, overcome overcome that that final obstacle and just the stunning nature of it. Yeah, and he was as we talked last time. He was look like this fight was also was also slipping away from him at that moment when he was able to land that, that thunderbolt right hand. Yeah, man. And that was, that was legitimately scary because Pacquiao landed right on his face. Yeah. He felt like a tree. It was scary. He was out instantly. That's yeah. That was scary. Yeah. But, um, okay. So since we already talked about that one last week, now, finally we'll do boom, boom, Mancini. Mancini. Uh, I saw that video. It was heartbreaking. It, Almost brought a tear to my eye. It's really, it's it's heartbreaking. Did you watch the documentary or the? Uh, the 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 video clip you sent was about what, like maybe like eight or ten minutes, maybe. So it, oh, it had yeah. some him talking about you know his Ray Mancini rather uh, talking about his experiences and how this affected him, and it was just very moving to hear uh, hear how it affected Ray and, and his experience. Yeah, he was like he was like gonna stop fighting, you know. Yeah. It was uh, real interesting to see him kind of like walk away, like like be able to get back into the the fight game. You know, it was his coaches and stuff who talked to him and and, and brought him back. But um, but yeah, like I heard about this fight. Um, 
in the gym, my, um, I can't remember if it was my coach or one of the guys, somebody told me, Oh, you know, um, there's this fight where, you know, someone dies. I can't remember what the, what the conversation was, but you know, out of it came this, this fight. And I'm like, really? And like, who? It's like, yeah, some Korean cat, you know, he died in my, like, Oh, so then I went and looked it up and yeah, it was boom, boom, Mancina, Ben Mancini, who, who knocks out this guy named Kim Dok Koo. I can't, I, I can't pronounce that. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. But yeah, Kim, Kim dies. Like he gets, I, how many rounds was it? It was like a whole bunch of rounds. I think it went into the 13th round and, and um, it was this, this tragedy that kind of spurred a change in the length of championship fights. Uh, Cause this was a 15 round fight. And after this tragedy fights were championship fights were, were brought down to 12 rounds. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so I think it was like the 13th round when he gets knocked out. Yeah. Cause um, yeah. Afterwards he, they, they take him home and or they take him to the hospital or whatever. And he dies. Right. And then he, um, he left, he was, he, he left a, a wife and son behind. Yeah. And there's this uh, great uh, doc documentary that I've been watching uh, called The Good Son that, I, that I'm like halfway through. It's it's a fantastic documentary, but it's it, it's it's rough, man, because you see this cat and he's a good guy. You know, it's yeah. not like he's some kind of psychopath or something. He's a legitimate right. good, good guy. And, and this happens. So thankfully, they talked him into coming back and continuing fighting. But. But, you know, tragedy on top of tragedy with this one, because the, the referee commits suicide. He puts a gun in his mouth and, mm -hmm. and Richard Green and, and calls it quits. Yes. And, and then Kim's mother also mom. committed yeah. suicide. I was just like, holy crap, man. Yeah, it's, there's, there's not much happiness coming out of this story at all. Yeah. It's just a, it's a tremendous tragedy and it's, really nobody's fault it just kind of happened i mean i don't i didn't watch it the wild thing about this is that this fight was on broadcast tv this fight was on a saturday afternoon i want to say on cbs uh-huh so this this occurred back in the day when they would have fights on on wide world sports or whatever on saturday or sunday afternoon so this was a fight on national broadcast tv on nbc or cbs that really everybody had a chance to see, uh, which is pretty stunning. Holy crap! I didn't know that, man. Yeah, this was a a free fight that anybody could have could have watched on a Saturday afternoon. Jesus Christ, man! You basically saw somebody get murdered, or not murdered, but yeah. killed, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ! But uh, I mean, yeah. And how old was was Mancini at this time? He had to have been a kid. I mean, what, in his early twenties. This is, this is. Let's see. It looks like it's eighty-two. Yeah, he he. At this point, he's he's already lost to Alexis Arguello for his first shot at the lightweight title, um, and then he's then he's become champion um, afterwards. So yeah, he's got to be in his early twenties, twenty-one, twenty-two, certainly under twenty-five. Um, so yeah, this had a profound effect. Uh, needless to say, on the Kim family, but. On him, I don't think he was ever the same fighter again. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't make a comeback, but he was—he just wasn't the same fighter. And especially for a fighter like him, who was a—he wasn't so much a technician; he was a brawler. 
So it really required him to have a lot of heart and have a lot invested into it. Um, so I think when this happened, it, it obviously it took something away from him. Oh man. Yeah. Cause like I was, I'm, I'm watching that documentary and uh, he talks about, you know, coming up as a boxer and some of the, some of the things that he, he did, he was, he, he didn't consider himself a technician. Like you're saying, he was much more the workaholic. So he, mm -hmm. he, his, he had a brother who passed away when he was younger, who, who was just kind of naturally gifted, right? He had some qualities that allowed him to be successful as a boxer, but he also had some, you know, some distractions because so, he got, you know, they, he, that guy, his, uh, Gotti's brother, uh, got involved with the mob and, you know, et cetera. But, uh, boom, boom was disciplined. You know, he may not have the talent. He, he yeah. admits it himself in the documentary. He says that he didn't have the talent his brother did, but he, he worked and his brother did it. And so mm -hmm. I, what you're telling me sounds sounds kind of like correct in terms of like, yeah, he comes out, he's just going to put it to him, you know, he's just going to outwork him. And, and that's what I saw, like from what I saw, you know, like in the fight, he, he just worked the kid, you know, he just worked that guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and to, and in terms of like Kim and his family and his wife, like, or it, oh. first of all, she wasn't even his wife. Right. I think she was just kind of like, they were out of wedlock. And it was a thing that was kind of looked down upon, at least yeah. in the Korean culture at the time. So there was that kind of problem to it. And I don't know if he was thinking that maybe this fight would kind of allow them the ability to get married, you know? Sure. But, you know, yeah, that might, yeah. So like the, the story I heard about this fight was that that guy was losing everything, Kim. Like, I guess his wife left him or all that stuff. And that he was going to, he was committing suicide in the ring. But, oh my God. but that's not, that's not the story from, from what I'm gathering. It, the story is actually, he was a young, young cat. He had everything, you know, ahead of him. He had his whole life, yes. he had his whole life ahead of him. And he was just trying to set himself up. Yeah, that was always the story I had heard that, right. He was coming over from. Uh, South Korea to make a, a name for himself in the U.S. and to kind of have that explosion of his career that would right set he set himself up and his family for life. Yeah, and that's obviously just another dimension of tragedy added on top of this. Is you know that that, that both participants were just trying to do the honorable thing, trying to get you know trying to do the, this brutal game the right way, and unfortunately it cost one young man his life. It's it's sad. Yeah, yeah. I guess this one's not as scary as it is sad. I, you know, I yeah. thought it, I thought it, you know, especially like when I read it, you know, you think, oh, you know, it's scary, you know, because there's death in it. But really, the it's just, uh, it's just tragedy all the way around. But like you said, they changed the rules because of this, right? They have. Yes. Championship fights used to go 15 rounds before 1980, whatever, 83, 84. As a result of, of Dooku Kim's death, uh, fights were, were championship fights were reduced to 12 round fights. Mm. So um, if that had been the case, you know, Hearns beats Leonard the first time around in 12 rounds. Wow. Leonard doesn't win that fight until the fifth, 
until a knockout in the 14th or the 15th round. So many fights before that era would have ended differently had they only gone 12. And who knows how, how many fights of, of a more recent vintage would have ended differently if they had gone 15, yeah. you know? Can, would Teofimo hold off Lomachenko for three more rounds? I don't know. Maybe he can't hold them off for three more rounds. Um, it, it's tough to say. So th that is one, I do kind of miss that in a way. I do miss the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th round because those were, that was kind of like magical territory. That's where only the elites got to tread, right? Mm -hmm. If you were fighting in the 14th or the 15th round, you're fighting at a very high level. Uh, against a very tough opponent, probably. Yeah, it's not just skill at that point. It's also um, what kind of shape you're in, right? The endurance. Yeah, endurance and, of course, mental toughness. How tough are you mentally? Yeah. Because uh, that's a big, obviously, don't need to tell you, that's a big part of this is mentally. How how tough are you mentally? Yeah, it's a marathon. And, and Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, it would change fights. It would really change fights, and I don't know, but in terms of safety too, like, hey, also wasn't wasn't this when they also kind of instilled the uh, eight eight count and the three knockdown roll? They made yes, it became much more strictly enforced. Um, before then, only some sanctioning bodies had it. It wasn't as universal. Now it is universal. You have a mandatory eight count for when somebody goes down. I don't think they do standing eight counts anymore mm. uh, and that was where as you may know a fighter would get hurt they wouldn't go down but as a precaution the referee would step in and count to eight yeah and that was called a standing eight count um and that that often would lead to an additional point in scoring so if if a fighter got a standing eight count in a round he usually lost that round 10-8 even if there wasn't a knockdown um but yeah, as a result of that, yes, they they, they really it became universal. The uh, the mandatory eight count, the uh, three knockdowns, and just I think, I think it really made um, people it should have made people more careful about about these sort of events and have referees more conscious of the danger. But unfortunately, it still happens. But yeah, it was it was a big it was a big uh, event. The, the death of Dugu Kim was a profound event in, in boxing. It had a huge effect. Yeah. Yeah, so historically speaking, yeah. Um, so then, what do we have coming up? Like, what fights should I be watching? Let me see. I'd have to look at, at the latest schedule. I know that a, a lot of us want to see uh, Spence and Crawford fight mm -hmm. at welterweight. That's the fight that needs to be made. Now, there's issues having to do with the business, with, with promoters not lining up right. But at welterweight, that's the fight that everybody wants to see, I think. And I, I really would love to see that fight. Um, I think in the lower weight classes, now you have Teofimo Lopez as an established starter. There's lots of people at lightweight he can fight. Uh, Javante Davis. There's a few other guys down there at 135. I mean, 135 is one of the pillar divisions. You know, that's there's always going to be a lot of talent at 135. So uh, Teofimo can can enjoy this moment, but he, he must know that there's other people on the horizon, especially. He owns all four belts. He owns the, the belts for the four major sanctioning bodies. Mm -hmm. So he has a big target on his back. Everybody who wants to make a name for themselves at 135 has that man on their list. So I think anybody he fights, and there's a lot of good fighters out there to be made. Um, 
I'm interested to see what happens with Pacquiao after he beat Thurman. I mean, it looks like he's still going to keep it up, and he beat Thurman, who's a good fighter, a very good fighter. So I'm interested interested to see what he does. Um, I know there's um, one of the Russian or Ukrainian heavyweights is coming up in a fight. I'd have to do more research on what's coming up. Yeah. On the fight schedule. But certainly this was the biggest one of this year, the the Lomachenko-Lopez fight. Uh, this was the, the big one of 2020. Are you serious? There isn't another good one coming up? I, let me check. Let me check the schedule. I didn't, I didn't, not, not something of this magnitude. I mean, there may be uh. fights that are just as good or if not better, but nothing of this kind of uh, hype magnitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then of this, and this young, and this kind of like younger talent, right? I mean, not that yeah. Lomachenko is super young, but you know, just, I mean, we're, 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 I mean, we were talking about Tyson and, and, you know, and Roy and and Roy. Roy, Yeah. And so like, I'm looking forward to that, but that's not, or at least I don't think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're going to fight real, but it's not for a, a big title or anything like that. It's just. Yeah. For nostalgia's sake. Exactly. 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 I mean that it's going to be fun, but I mean, it, it doesn't have the stakes that, that this fight have has. So then, okay, so yeah. um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, was say, I also think the pandemic has had an effect on, on the fight scheduling because fights are so, I mean, like the Lopez Lomachenko fight should have been, it was scheduled for before the pandemic. It was going to be a pay-per-view big arena fight. So there's a lot of money that was lost uh, on this event because the, uh, the pay-per-view money was lost, the gate, you know, 20, 30,000 people. I mean, they were going to hold this fight at Madison Square Garden or Mandalay Bay or somewhere. Wow. It was going to be one of those kind of fights. So I I also think a lot of stuff is kind of on hold until we see what's going on with the pandemic, uh, when we can start getting crowds back at at, uh, at big arenas. So I think there's also, we're also kind of in a holding pattern right now. Yeah. Or otherwise they got to figure something else out, right? They got to figure out a new way to kind of sell fights um, or in any event for that matter, because I mean, this is having an effect on movie theaters as well, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I did miss the crowd in this fight. I didn't, that's one thing I did, I guess I didn't anticipate because other sports, I didn't miss the crowd as much because they had piped in noise, I guess, or whatever. But the crowd was noticeably absent. The, yeah. uh, there was an energy that was not quite there that a live crowd would have brought to the event. That extra dimension of tingles, you know, in the skin. You know, now that you bring that up, I wonder if that had an effect for Lomachenko. Because some people need... Uh, yes, absolutely. Some people need that. Some people need to hear the crowd, need to be, need to hear their the name. Or, the you know, yeah. It could also affect the challenger negatively if they don't have that kind of experience with a large crowd. Like, it's one thing to walk in in a room full of like, you know, a, a, in, a, in a crowd with like, I don't know, a thousand people. It's another thing to come in with like, 20, 30,000 people, 40,000, you know, cheering for you or cheering against you. Like, yeah. I mean, you feel that energy. I, I just, uh, I wonder if that had an, um, had an effect on the fight, on the outcome of the fight. It very well could have, because I, I certainly felt the difference. And I can only imagine what it must have, what it would be like for a fighter in the ring. Yeah. Also, also it, it kind of steers the judges too, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The crowd can certainly steer the judges. It can frame certain things in the fight differently for the judges. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about the bubble thing? Like they kept mentioning the bubble 
in, in the fight. That's describe exactly what 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 the bubble is. I, I I'm pretty sure I understand what it is, but yeah, my understanding that it's not quite like UFC where they have a whole island and the fighters are kind of all together. I believe each camp is a bubble unto itself up until what I think maybe two or three weeks before the fight, and then they come into a common bubble and people are tested every day just to make sure that nobody is, is, is sick the day of the fight. Um, but I don't have that many details, but it's not a one giant bubble with, you know, like 15 or 20 fighters, mm. I think, but I, I'm not too sure about that, but, but I do know that each camp was kind of, it was very much independent and I I'm positive that the sanctioning bodies were doing constant testing, even at that point, even when the camps were separate, even when like one one camp was in New York or in, on the East Coast and one camp was on California, I'm sure they were being tested in real time at each camp, even before they came to to Vegas the week or two before the fight. Jesus Christ, man! What a pain in the butt. Yeah, especially when we, obviously with with a boxing team, it's not just the boxers, the trainer, the cut man, the nutritionist, the exercise person, the massage person, the chef. I mean, it's. It's an entire camp. The sparring partners, everybody has to get checked out, and yeah. everybody has to come up clean. So yeah, it's like a major pain in the ass. Yeah, all that, all the, all that testing, all that money for that testing. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a huge undertaking. It's um, man, I can't wait till this is over. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. It's, I know it's easy to get fatigue, but we all we we gotta we gotta continue to do the right thing. What scientists say we should do, but. Yeah, this is exhausting, bro. This is exhausting. Damn. So, in so, in terms of fighting, I, I guess I should not. I, I'm sorry, man. I I should have I should have uh, asked you to kind of like look this up, or maybe I should have looked up. But uh, I I would have liked to have known what what kind of fights you uh, you're looking forward to. But it sounds like it, there isn't very many at this point. Yeah, I a couple of weeks ago I looked at the upcoming calendar, and there wasn't anything that jumped out at least in my immediate memory right now, that was a huge, that was something huge. Um, some of them might be, let me look, cause some of them might be young and up and, uh, young and up and coming fighters still kind of sowing their oats, not okay. really fighting for a big championship yet, but kind of making their way up the rankings. And there might be some good opportunities to watch some young talent, you know, kind of uh, lay waste to some, <laughs> to some fighters in their division. <laughs> like, I'm sure that be, cause I mean, there's this guy Berlanga, there's another guy named Munguia, who's a Mexican-American guy fighting at like super middle at that same weight where Berlanga's fighting. Oh. And he's also a dangerous kid. Uh, maybe not quite as dangerous as Berlanga, but he's also a dangerous kid. And there's, yeah, I'll have to look around and then maybe that's something we can talk about uh, on one of our next episodes is upcoming fights to keep an eye on, upcoming fighters to keep an eye on. Ah, that's a good idea. We should do that. Like, yeah, yeah. Young... Even if they're not, you know, big pay-per-view megastar uh-huh. fights, there's, there's always guys making coming, you know, making their way up that you want to catch and see what they're all about. Yeah, cats, cats that that are are showing promise, even you know, or you know, at least you can follow the story and see what happens to them, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, bro. I like that. Let's 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 try to do that. Um, Absolutely. In an upcoming up podcast. So, yeah, uh, sure I that's that's my list, and that's uh, us all up to date on the uh, on the fight game. Um, anything else popping right now for you, bud? Not right now. It's, o- it's always great to, to chat with you. Obviously, we got the end of the year coming up, so there's lots of stuff that we could talk about. Not only looking forward, we can kind of 
look back at some of the big fights of this 2020, because mm. uh, there were some fights right before the pandemic hit that, that we could kind of talk about. And then, as we said, maybe looking forward into 2021 and see what we we got coming up along with any other topics that come our way. Dude, like the subject of boxing is just gigantic, right? I mean, we can talk about this and, forever. And reservoir. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, cool, man. All right, so let's uh, let's call it quits for now. Um, this is uh, Edgar Traves with my good friend and co-host uh, Martin, the living encyclopedia of boxing. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Music, Jaggernaut by 91 Nova can be found over at Epidemic Sound. Man, that was a good one. I, I mean, I always enjoy talking to Martin, man. I could talk to that guy for hours. I can listen to him talk about boxing. I am so looking forward to any of those ideas that he pitched. If you want to support the podcast, head on over to shop.theflowrollpodcast.com. Um, get yourself a mug. That's it, family. We'll catch you next time. Bye.